Hey everybody and welcome to You'll Probably Agree. Today we're going to talk about a subject I was just so, that makes me so happy. Uh, <laughs> the future of movie theaters. What's going to happen now that we're literally living in the first act of a zombie apocalypse movie? <laughs> where everyone has ignored the scientists and now everybody's quarantined outside and uh we'll see what happens with the films but uh before i we dive into that i'd like to introduce my guests ian simmons from kickingtheseat.com hello and my good friend don shanahan well you're both my good friends i love you both <laughs> uh I, I don't pick and choose uh <laughs> uh don shanahan from every movie has a lesson uh obviously every movie has a lesson is every movie has a lesson.com and kicking the seat kickseat.com both have their own podcast or Don, you're on uh feeling film pod feeling film podcast. Yeah, every now and then. Yeah, yeah more yeah. sporadically than not. I wish I can say I was a regular, but no, just just an occasional guest. Yeah, but but you know what? They're always great occasions and it's always oh, yeah. great when we have you on too. I'll make love to you later. Okay, that was inappropriate. <laughs> it works. <laughs> uh I still got it, baby. All right. <laughs> Anyways, um so uh, with the future of movie theaters, uh, anybody can answer when they like uh, in the classroom. Uh, I was wondering if you guys were to have like an educated guess, Ooh. how do you think, when do you think these theaters are going to reopen and if they, if they could ever reopen? Yeah. I'll, I'll, since you use the word educated, I'll be the school teacher that chimes in first. <laughs> um, I think it's going to be August at best. I think yeah. you need, I think you need a good, summer of a couple of months here you need the month of june and july to see if this virus can kind of uh you know slow itself down all you hear about from the scientists is that hot weather and moisture kind of keep this thing away versus cold so if we can get a good hot july june and july and you know, a summer to kind of bake this out a little bit you know literally and figuratively um that would be a that would be a fine time for this virus to go away um yeah i think august at best i know christopher nolan can dream all he wants to be the savior of cinema in july with tenant but i he, i think he's going to get bounced a couple weeks to august yeah, uh, yeah what do you think ian what do you think mike <laughs> uh go ahead ian no you you go ahead mike well i, I think i might be the contrarian in this situation as it should be no surprise but uh yeah go ahead uh, yes, as it says in your tagline, uh, movies from the last guy anybody wants to ask. God damn it, Ian. All right. No, <laughs> uh, I, uh, I don't think we're going to come back in August. Uh, I was, when I was uh, uh, getting my uh, COVID test recently, which I'm negative, by the way. So, Ooh, hit the applause button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't having symptoms or anything. It was just a friend of a friend uh, was able to get me a so uh anyways this nurse i was talking to basically said like movie theaters are going to be the last place that are going to open up because they're basically just like a cesspool for germs and diseases because you've got like the sticky popcorn and people's hands touching the chairs and all sorts of substances everywhere um so outside of bars maybe those are maybe the second worst but you're also in a confined space with a uh, very sort of a uh, human air, uh, although they love to blast you with the air conditioning in there, but that's another story. So I'm going to guess when everything truly releases, hopefully within a year or two years, we'll see. Well, within two years is a worst case scenario. Uh, but when the vaccine comes out, I think we'll really have a reopening of the theaters. I think we'll have a brief reopening where yeah. they'll test it. That'll probably happen maybe just before the end of the summer, maybe late August, uh, early September, mid-September, who knows. And then immediately they're going to be like, uh-oh, this isn't working out. Everybody go back inside. You know, and it'll be a state-by-state -state basis, essentially. So it's, yeah, I Christopher Nolan, I, I hear him. I sympathize. I would love to have the theatrical ex exhibition uh uh be at the forefront but unfortunately it doesn't look like we're going to have that and as much as i like see tenant on the big screen i'd say buckle your seatbelts. you're not going to see tenant for a while and i'm okay with not seeing it for a while 
um, because you know a Nolan film, particularly since they're filmed on 70 and 35 millimeter, you have to see them on a big screen. But uh, the July is 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 not exactly realistic, and I think even Warner Brothers knows that because if you watch the recent trailer that dropped yesterday to Tenant, uh, it said coming to theaters, but it didn't say a date like it used to. Because that was there was that was the big headline yesterday. That um, did Christopher Nolan come out with a statement or something talking about July? He didn't talk specifically about July, but he wrote a piece in the Washington Post uh, talking about the importance of the reemergence of movie theaters when this all ends, and how you know there's 150,000 workers there, not only them, but it would boost the U.S. economy and all that. But of course, we have to be mindful to save lives. So he wrote a piece and Warner Brothers was saying July for a while and they're hoping to release Tenant in July. But whether that's really going to happen, I think it's even dawned on Warner Brothers uh, that it probably won't. But they haven't publicly stated that. But they did say they're going to basically have to change their theatrical model. And digital distribution is certainly an avenue to go towards with uh, a lot of projects. Mm. You know, and certainly Justice League. Yeah, uh, the Snyder cut, I think, is one avenue that you can already see them exercising with HBO Max because mm-hmm. now they know people are going to be locked in longer. They can give the $20 million to Zack Snyder to take all that footage that I'm going to presume he already shot and finish the visual effects. Yeah. So then they can put on HBO Max, drive up the subscriptions, and be like, here's that Snyder cut we were all talking about. And, you know, it's just the perfect opportunity for him. So. Ian, Ian, what do you got for an educated guess? Uh, well, I just want to sidestep to that Snyder Cut thing. I mean, that <clears throat> that's a that's a special case, right? Because mm-hmm. I think that that is only about HBO Max and and trying to get subscriptions up. Because as Disney Plus has found out, you know, they they launch and everything's big, but then interest and in subscriptions kind of starts to wane. So even though everyone's stuck at home, there is still that reservation about paying additional money for another streaming service uh plus it's it's a it's an odd case because it's a movie that came out a few years ago that hardly anybody liked so this is the version (laughs) that they're hoping that people will like even though all of a sudden Zack snyder is like the the big savior of you know quality superhero films um you know it's it's more of a fascination it's like a geek show Mm -hmm. on top of that the Justice League that he was doing was supposed to be the first of either a two-part or a three-part movie. So ostensibly, if we're getting the Snyder Cut, we're getting that first chapter of two other movies that will probably never see the light of day because with all of DC's you know, failures and restarts and triumphs with Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Shazam, they're going in a very specific direction and leaving that whole thing kind of behind i mean they've already mm-hmm. got a new batman coming up that has nothing to do with black bat flick so again it'll be interesting to see the snyder cut but that's not something that was ever meant to come out in theaters it seems more like hbo and warner brothers are like okay we got to get people to watch this and having our catalog movies isn't going to cut it so what can we do right, here's 20 mil you know you'll get the snyder cut it's an interesting gamble for sure, because uh, much like Disney plus, I think you're going to get people signing up for the trial to watch justice league and be like, wow, that was kind of shitty. And then they'll unsubscribe after the week or the month or whatever. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's fun. I, I, and believe me, I'm interested. So I will be one of those people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll be there. Yeah. But uh, as far as movie theaters go, I mean, it depends on you know the quote unquote science um you know the recommendations and the guidelines are changing you know daily if not weekly i mean last night you had the cdc coming out uh, talking about those surfaces that you're concerned with and saying that mm. you know covid-19 does not spread as easily through like just touching things it's mostly about you know contact with you know if you you know sneeze on your hand and you touch a doorknob that's one thing but if you're just like in the subway it's not necessarily as bad as you know anything else Mm. um you know and on top of that you've got large parts of the country that are opening up so if you don't see i mean there's going to be a spike in cases in places that have opened up uh just because you do have more contact but unless we see 
more you know pandemic part two levels where everything has to shut down again you're going to see parts of the country opening back up and getting back to some semblance of normal and then you're going to see other parts of the country that are still going to be sheltered in place um the parts that are opened up they're going to have businesses coming back and people interested in larger gatherings you're going to have businesses that really want to reopen so even if it's not amc on a national level you might get some kind of a regional thing where some theaters are like, you know, these places are just sitting empty and we've got people clanging on our doors virtually or literally. So let's open it up to 25%, see if we can operate at 25% customer capacity and still make some kind of a profit. Um, so yeah, I, there's too much of a confluence of events that need to happen for me to be able to predict anything. Oh, yeah. But, you know, if this, if these theaters have to stay shuttered you know, through the fall into the end of the year, or God forbid, two years, mm -hmm. they probably just won't come back because, yeah. you know, that's real estate. That's, you know, it's jobs. Like yeah. you mentioned, people aren't, we can't maintain that level of unemployment for theater workers mm -hmm. uh, for another two years. They're going to go find other work, other places. Right. So, or even the companies themselves, they like, that's going to be a bankruptcy festival by this point. I mean, we already hear in AMC, teetering on that brink where you know regals got can't be far behind like i i don't know the health of these chains if they don't have anything coming in yeah i mean so what you might find it could be an interesting model um you know what if uh, warner brothers decided hey tenet is coming out in july or in august and it's coming to theaters but if you you know and and there are going to be people people who want to see it on the big screen as you mentioned what if you could see it on the big screen and day and date you could watch it at home and it's your choice mm -hmm. i mean that's the thing about these openings is it's not mandatory for people to leave their homes you can stay inside for six seven years if you want to but for the people who want to go out and take that risk um you know depending on the the safety guidelines and social distancing and masks and all of that stuff uh, there's going to be folks who just want to get back get back to it yeah. um so that and businesses are going to have to uh, adjust to that so yeah i'll be curious to see what the theatrical model looks like it might it might be a hybrid because as we're seeing the theatrical movies coming out on demand is it can be very successful and profitable yeah i mean certainly we're not uh, epidemiologists, nor are we uh, uh, psychics, uh, but uh, hey, speak it, for yourself on the <laughs> psychic thing. I, Don's got a, uh, a, a a golden uh, ball or whatever the hell they call it. Right, I have a yellow wheelchair and a bald yeah. haircut. Of course, I'm going to no, be good for that. I, I was talking about a glass crystal, crystal glass. You jumped to that. A I jumped crystal? to the X Men. That's stop, true. Stop reading those Toy Story four comments. Oh, <laughs> good point. <laughs> <laughs> oh flashback yeah oh, i know right yeah you know although i gotta say over time i really agree with like toy story 4 over time is making me more and more angry uh i'm but, telling you i'm yeah. telling you <laughs> he's, he's on to something man uh but uh the, the thing is we can't we certainly can't be have these places locked down for two years but if they find so much money in uh distributing things digitally i think what's going to happen is and people have brought this up before uh, this is sort of a natural evolution to where the theater chain will go where you'll have theaters that are owned by disney and theaters that are owned by sony who now owns right. paramount and they're only going to show the big tentpole movies like they'll show avengers for instance that made like 11 billion dollars and yeah all the movies that people will go to the theater for Otherwise, I think I think you're dead on. I think with yeah. those expired old Paramount decrees that we've been hearing about the last you know six eight months, how I'm really surprised, especially with the bankruptcy that that some of these companies are teetering on. I'm really surprised that a studio conglomerate hasn't either bought out a flailing or bleeding theater chain or made their own and and turned these things into their own storefronts. You know, where Disney buys amc and every lobby turns into the disney <laughs> store that used to be at the mall <laughs> yeah. because guess what malls are dead you know so you can put that disney store where your lobby is your popcorn place and your merchandise store on your way in and out of the movie and they just hawk their wares every chance they get and show their own stuff on their own fancy screens and they keep every dollar instead of sharing it with amc pay a few workers and you're good I i'm surprised 
I, I well, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet, but I really can see the right possibility happening where that that happens where everyone makes their own little storefront. You want to go watch a Warner Brothers movie? You got to go to a Warner Brothers theater. If you want to go watch a Sony one, you go to a Sony theater. And mm-hmm. I know that's a la carte in a way, but compared to the, you know, the, the, the watering hole that is every multiplex nowadays, but I don't know, man, they have the power in the cloud to do that. And for the studios, now that the decrees are gone, you cut out that profit sharing middleman. Cause we, 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 I remember we were hearing about how Disney was really screwing theaters over for better cuts and better percentages for those star Wars movies. The last couple of years where now they just can't, they can just go buy it. Yeah. Mm. And well, that's go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, that's, it's an interesting idea. Um, but like with everything else, it's kind of up in the air as far as, as far as why they haven't done that yet. They could be waiting to see how this whole thing shakes out because we currently have, you know, upwards of 40 million unemployed people uh, in the country and, you know, no clear indication that, you know, what a recovery is going to look like, how long it's going to take, how many of those people are going to have jobs. Uh, you know, a lot of those people had disposable incomes to like mm-hmm. go see movies. Uh, and even though theater attendance was declining, I mean, who do you think goes to see movies? It's people who have ostensibly a lot of those, you know, 36, 40 million jobs. Uh, so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to invest in like, we're going to buy movie theaters and no one's going to show up because <laughs> they're yeah, all broke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of, I feel like this is going to be a nice time capsule conversation where five years from now we can look back and just see who was right, who was wrong, or did could any of us have predicted you know, what mm-hmm. the outcome was. It might be something completely out of left field. See, I yeah. think this is, when you say natural evolution, I think this just sped up where it was already going. You know, yeah. big event movies have been winning over multiplex screens for years pushing out art films attendance for smaller non-big screen flashy films has been slipping you know the smaller single you know the single screen art theaters have been have been getting shuttered you know even before this happened now you don't have any films and they're definitely going to close so um and i think they have all they've all found better avenues and even better profit chances you know online you know there's there's a reason why scorsese and you know alex garland and these guys you know put their movies on Netflix or Amazon mm-hmm. because they get an immediate paycheck um, that, you know, the, the subscription pieces and all that is there, or even a, a fledgling indie filmmaker, you know, if, if Tubi or one of these little shingle apps <laughs> offers you 50 grand to put, you know, to take your movie and put it on their service for now it's for free, but you got 50 grand in your pocket, which you would not have made that charging eight bucks at, you know, at some little art house theater that barely exists and you die in two weeks. So they have found better chances and more eyes online. And I think we were going there anyway. This just accelerates it. Yeah. I, uh, unfortunately, I, I, I feel like this is probably the next step where really it's the movies that are going to make a ton of money that are only going to be released, you know? So essentially most of everything is going to be shown on demand digital, because if you think of the perspective from a theatrical distributor, why waste all that money, you know, having all these movies play if they're just going to make, you know, so much cash when you could just have uh, your huge billion dollar film and have everyone be excited to go out and see it. And then for the rest of the year, who knows, maybe they close their doors. I don't know how they would manage it year round with theaters. And then how many theaters are there going to be on top of that? Like, will every state, have a theater or like only big cities that's a fair wonder you know like if you know if it, if it's owned by who or the re, you know the reduction of the industry like we, we all chide disney for becoming this all year round carnival where they always have something going but you know disney could pull it off you know other studios not so much i mean we don't see you know, a Paramount release every two weeks, you know, mm. or it's the old 50 studio system where you see those people who used to make 10, you know, 10 films a year, you know, like those, you know, there was just a, a train, an assembly line. We don't have that anymore, probably because of big budgets and work stuff. But if, if all of this shrinks that to a degree I, in some way, I'm not sure how that'll look, but I think it, I think it all depends on how much money they can squeeze or make 
and Ian's right. You know, if you have your, your viewership, you know, kind of strapped and, you know, tight, you know, that wall gets a little tighter. I don't know how much money is going to really come in. Yeah, I mean, even if there's there's a few things there. I mean, let's say you're out of work, so you can't afford to go out to the movie theater, but you're at home and you could watch, you know, the new Avengers movie on Disney Plus. Or you know, if they let's say Disney Plus, they they do like the onward thing where they charge for the first three weeks and then they put it on Disney Plus. But you really want to see that movie, uh, and it's twenty dollars. You got to make the decision. Okay, I'm on unemployment, do I want to spend 20 bucks to watch this movie, even though me and my girlfriend can watch it, whatever, or the kids, if they spend $20 on it, the studio is still losing ostensibly. Let's say they have a family of like four, they would have paid, you know, $35 or $40 by going out to the theater. And then there's, you know, for the ticket prices, then the concessions. And on top of that, I don't know exactly what anti-piracy measures they have in place. And I haven't gone digging, but I figure, like one person, you know, subscribes to Disney Plus or, or pays the twenty bucks to get the new Avengers movie and pirates it, and then bam, it's on the internet or it's being passed yeah. around. They probably take it down. I'm sure they've got algorithm algorithms and stuff. I just don't know how that's possible or what that looks like. And I could just see piracy becoming, you know, the the new bane of the existence of of studios all over again. I agree. Like if the, all of this becomes digital, there just isn't enough business versus patience and piracy for the $200 million blockbuster anymore without guaranteed theater dollars, you know, because you're, you're getting people at $20 a house instead of $20 a person. Um, maybe that forces the industry to shrink budgets. Maybe we're back to the nineties where things cost, you know, you got those star driven nineties programmer movies, you know, like where the fugitive costs $30 million to make, you know, you got a big star, something that would totally play in the big screen and make money, but your profit margin on a $30 million or even let's say $75 million movie, you're going to make that money back faster, even at $20 a house versus trying to like, that's why I think that's why more movies haven't just given up and come on the Netflixes and the Amazons because they, they're, there's no way they're going to make their money back. That's, that's Mulan. That's tenant. That's fast eight, you know, or fast nine or whatever that we're on. Um, those movies have to James Bond. Those movies have to wait for the theater because they don't have a chance of making their budget back at at a measly twenty bucks a house. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, and a lot of these things are big spectacle movies. So instead of spending a quarter billion dollars on the next Avengers, are they just gonna you know make it like the old style James Bond movies where you've got like one or two big action set pieces and the rest is him like in the casino or like talking slyly tailing people in hotels. I mean, I I don't know exactly how you make a new Avengers movie quote unquote on the cheap. (laughs) And if people settle for that, or if they're going to be like, I'm not paying for that. I want want to see the spectacle that I've enjoyed for the last 20 years. Well, if I were to guess, essentially what they'd have to do, if you want to keep a theater alive, you can't keep your theater alive off of like, one huge blockbuster that's going to make billions of dollars you need to have things play year-round on it so you'd probably have less theaters but every state would have a theater but you'd probably have to go out of your way to go to it they wouldn't be as readily available like probably every neighborhood would have like their one theater and i think a lot of movies like you said would probably have to be on a lower budget so I think a lot of superhero stuff will probably be put via television and then like their big get together movie, like their Avengers mm-hmm. would be on the big screen. Yeah. So like if they want to make a Thor movie, you could probably make that on a television budget. We've seen that the Mandalorian's already kind of doing that. Yeah. I, I like the challenge, yeah. the gauntlet that's kind of thrown down of, Hey, push yourself back from the buffet table and make a few cheaper things, you know, like, cause, yeah. Oh no, we, we yeah. used to do it. You know, look, yeah. look at the, look at the nineties. Those movies had mm-hmm. plenty of spectacle and they did it at the time expensive, but still in comparison today on the cheap, it's the movies like, and I know I keep, we always, I, I love making fun of it, but like it's movies like the Irishman that are going to die because you spend 150 fat millions of dollars yeah. to pay for whatever filet mignon you think you're making and <laughs> no one's going to buy it for three hours. And then you yeah. got to market it and make that budget north of 200. Those movies have no chance. 
Yeah. You know, the spectacle stuff, great. The prestige stuff that costs too much, that's the stuff that has to start being, go back to your roots and go back to making movies on the cheap. You know, like Scorsese used to. I, I, what was his last, the, we just got the, was it uh, Killers of the Sailor Moon or whatever it is, where <laughs> he's trying to like go out there and get his little, you know, yacht-driven GoFundMe. To, like who, where, who's going to give me my next $200 million? And if I'm any Bean County business person, even before COVID, no, I would not give you, I would not get a profit for it. I could get prestige from his movie. That's great, but I wouldn't get my money back as a studio. Right. Yeah. I just say, you know, with Scorsese, like just stick with one star and just make like a, a movie off of that on a smaller budget. Like he could do devil in the white city that he wanted to do for a while on a smaller budget. He doesn't have to grab Pacino and Pesci and all these guys for this huge amount of money on top of de-aging them with CGI. Yeah. And you know, you could do, I honestly would be really excited to see non, um, franchise films being put on the big screen at a lower budget where their return theatrically would be much more than what they were budgeted at. And that's totally possible now. So even with a, tre a tremendous amount of despair does come opportunity and mm -hmm. that's really exciting to see. And especially they were doing, there's a performance research team that came out. I think of this article I read from like April and they said that 70% of audiences would rather watch movies from home than in the theater at this current state. That's very telling. And, yeah. And then 20% of the uh, participants in that, in that analysis said that they find a $20 rental fee from home reasonable as of uh, uh, Ian's point. You know, you're paying 20 bucks at home for one movie. That's way cheaper than paying like 20 bucks per person plus concessions and right. all that stuff. I think well, it's home technology too. Like, you yeah. know, we got these 70 inch 4k TVs with, you know, 7.1 Dolby surround sound. You can replicate enough spectacle at home, at least for the tight budgeted consumer who, yeah, I, I'd pay 20 bucks and just let my, my couch do the job. Don't get me wrong. Nothing beats the movie theater for some of that stuff. But if I'm making smaller, smarter choices, the 20 bucks is going to win. I'm all for the smarter, smaller, smarter choices, but I mean, the thing about, well, it go, again, it goes back to the economics. I mean, I know these people were surveyed and everything, but, you know, talk to them again in a month when half yeah. of them don't have their jobs That's or right. are furloughed or laid off or whatever. I mean, there is something about going out to a theater and yes, it is expensive, but you're getting in your car, you're going out for an experience, you're seeing something mm -hmm. on the big screen, you're taking a family possibly or a date maybe dinner. So it's, it's an experience. If you're at home on your couch and you're like, all right, trolls world tour is going to cost me $20 just to turn on. Whereas I've got a Netflix subscription. I've got Disney plus I have not watched the thousands of other movies that are on this thing. Yep. You know, this is going to be on some streaming service in three months or maybe even a month and a half, depending on how, because all this stuff is, you know, so rapidly that's going point. going to the quote-unquote free services which are just the ones that we're paying small subscriptions for that it's like yeah i can wait i mean <laughs> yeah. yeah and they've been they've been doing this to themselves for the last couple of years where yeah. even the disc windows you know that used to be six to eight even 12 months i remember mm -hmm. those disney movies yeah. it'd be a year before that disney movie would hit a vhs tape you know and now those windows are like two months you know like we saw joker come out in october and it was on disc in time for what was it January in time for the Oscars. That's yeah. three months. Now, don't get me wrong. The movie raked, you know, at the box office, but that's a short window where um, if it's not the price point, that's, that's keeping people at home. It's just the, the, the point of having some patience. Cause you're right with onward. If you just wait three weeks, tell the kids to watch something else for three weeks, it'll be there at a fraction of the cost or an included cost. Like you said, in a subscription situation, than in a per, you know, 48 hour rental situation. Yeah. I mean, they, they've been doing this to themselves for years and now it's kind of coming to get them a little bit. Now, don't get me wrong. They got their eyes. They got their numbers. I'm sure their market counters love it. You know, they're counting subscriptions and all that, but at some point the products hit a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing is, I think it kind of, when you mentioned Joker, a little thought popped in my head, which is that, it depends on the movie you're releasing too. Cause something like onward is an animated film and 
as long as it has happy looking cartoon characters kids will be happy you could throw that on a digital platform something like joker is a movie that audiences want to really see in a theater and i think made it the low budget that it was with the high return that it made i don't think that return would have been the same if it were just something you could watch on a, a streaming platform because the enthusiasm for that movie because it would stir s such a divisive reaction was something you'd want to see with an audience to see how they react to it same with if you did something like the fugitive i think i'd be much more excited to see the fugitive anyone would to go to a theater and yeah it's an excuse to get out of the house Get away from your wife or your girlfriend when they're nagging at you. you know, get away from just a lot of stuff. And that, that, that's sort of the experience of it. So if we make movies on a lower budget and we focus less on these big properties, you know, and we just have those as a big tent poles and lower budget things, I think the theaters could survive off of that. But I'm guessing the studios are having the same exact conversation right now. You would hope so. Yeah. You know? kind of running around like chickens with their heads cut off. Uh, I mean, you have to have a familiar property. I remember talking to this guy who produced uh, a show when I was in LA way back. It was called uh, Once Upon a Time. And he told me, you know, what sells? It's like, people know who Snow White is. They know who Rumpelstiltskin is. Like, that's going to make more money than something that nobody knows. But now mm -hmm. it's like, I think something that nobody knows people will want to go to the theater to see what that might be. Cause you oh, yeah. have another I mean, look at Avengers thing. You could just do that on the cheap and then something with like a big star, like Harrison Ford, you know, or, yeah. or no, I mean, yeah. for every Avengers, you still get like a quiet place, you yeah. know, where just, you know, a couple of notable stars, cool concept smart marketing and it blows up like and that movie again really low budget but the returns on that are going to be fine yeah. that movie plays great in a communal experience and those are the kind of movies that i think the easiest way i'll say it is that quality and cream rise to the top like at some point the good movies not just the trashy things that are familiarity and, yeah. and easy <laughs> stuff like the like the like the trolls too like the scoobs those things have their briefest of flame and they have their little moment and that's it but the staying power of the things that are good enough to hang around and good enough to get eyes people will find them no matter where they are because yeah. for as many people that went into the theater and saw a quiet place they found bird box too they found <laughs> tiger king for god's sakes like yeah. they'll find shit you know yeah and it won't all just be street because you could make so much more money putting it in the theater still i think like yeah, the dice roll people will still gamble and put things in theaters they think have a shot to to spark and go and joe jo go back to joker joker's one of them you know joker's one of well, them uh like look at the paranormal activity series you couldn't watch that at home you know like it's fun to watch it with other people and see them freak out and scream well that but that's this is um you know, I think we're kind of mixing up our pre-COVID and post-COVID mentalities here because as much as we're talking about the theatrical experience, you know, it's going to be a long time. You know, this is the prediction I will make. It's going to be a long time before you've got a 75-seat auditorium in an AMC that's sold out. Yeah. Um, you know, I you're agree. going to have to, as we, as we step into this, you're going to be talking, okay, I've heard like 25%, and then if that works out 50 uh, you know, I don't know if everyone's talking about 75, but you're still talking about theaters that are half to a quarter capacity full. And that's not, you know, just to keep the lights on in these multiplexes, mm -hmm. that's, you know, you need more asses and seats, literally uh, yeah. buying concessions, buying movie tickets, repeat business, that kind of a thing. And if this goes on long enough, then the theaters in order to keep up are going to have to start raising their prices. And eventually yeah. it becomes, do I stay home and rent onward for $20 or do I spend the gas to drive to the AMC and pay $20? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you, if you notice what Ian said right there, he called the general public asses. Yeah. Just, I want that. I want that on the record. The plebeians out there are the asses. Not, you can't, I, I not as fancy critics seeing things in a sanitized screening room. Hey, you can't spell plebeians without Ian. <laughs> there it is. Oh, that's a fun one. What uh, What do you most, fellas most think of? These are fucking stupid ass. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I mean, um, in this whole COVID thing, what do you guys think of the this odd little comeback possibility nostalgia of drive-ins? 
Uh, Love you it. know what? Me uh, too. Love I, it. I, I don't think I attached you on this, but I am coming up with an idea for a drive-in movie film festival uh, I'll tell you about. I Ooh. sent the uh, proposal, uh, the first draft to it, to uh, Pat uh mcdonald who's on the show as well mm-hmm. he didn't reply in a while so it's probably not that good <laughs> but that's all right it's first draft uh but i think the drive-ins they're already making a huge comeback like yeah and McHenry theater in illinois they were like sold out already and they're already going at half capacity they usually yeah. have like 73 cars something like that and it's, no, it's like, like 700 they're down oh, to like 350 yeah, yeah, yeah. out of 700 yeah 350 Amazing. out of 700 yeah but you're right they're wrapped around the block just putting 350 in yeah i think a lot of people want to do that driving experience see you know like a fun family movie and then maybe when everyone leaves they'll see a smutty movie right. but, or <laughs> maybe not a smutty movie but they'll see like a you know like a silly horror movie and i'd like to i'd like to see some repurposed urban spaces turn into that because you know like we're i mean because of the COVID and, and, and the kinds of shopping that the kinds of, I'd say economy and consumerism that we're having right now, where, you know, uh, uh, online and, 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 and delivery services are, are smoking brick and mortar right now where, you know, we have, you know, we have several like shopping malls in our, in, in our city and suburban area that are, that are either closed or dead or almost. Yeah. You know, because, you know, Penny's just declared bankruptcy. Carson's went away two years ago. Sears, it has to be on its last leg. You hear Macy's isn't going to make it much longer. By that point, you know, when when do some of those malls where, you know, if you can't get Penny's and Carson's to hang around, Aunt Annie's and Foot Locker aren't hanging around. So, like, could you repurpose some massive malls and parking lots and, and just raise them down, put two screens up and turn them into drive-ins? I would love to see an urban drive it you know right. most of those things you got to go out to the country hit some, you know hit up some grassy parking lot you can do this stuff on cement you know like yeah. i know um right around near me here in the edge of chicago in the austin neighborhood there's a there was a massive three-story sears store that closed up north avenue in harlem you know huge parking lot big former building they're tearing it down piece by piece have put a drive in there like don't even do concessions just do what McHenry's doing you know, get yourself an FM station, buy an expensive projector, which is far less than a brick and mortar building with no, yep. you know, with no utilities, put up a drive in people would line up around the block for that right now. They I'd would, love to see that happen more in the city. They could literally do that in like Grant Park. Minus Absolutely. Park. You could, you could have like a sit in theater or something like that. Like people, this is really going to drive creativity. I hope so. And you'd have to keep social distance too when you're doing the sit-in. Well, that's the convenience yeah. of a drive-in. Like you, exactly. if you do the whole stay in the car as you got it. So. You're in a metal encased shield. <laughs> and so, let's be uh, honest, yeah. the tomfoolery that can happen in your car, whether it's <laughs> whether it's you know, you know, significant other tomfoolery or sneak your own food tomfoolery, have at it. You know, the freedom of that would would have people having a good time. And the drivers can be their own janitors. So, yeah. Yeah. It's all good. Well, well I mean, like, because the urban idea, I think, is is fascinating. I don't know how or if the studios or the movie theaters, whoever would be putting these up, would be on board without some significant modifications to the driving experience. Because a lot of these places are, like you said, out of the way out in the country. One of the benefits of that is you don't have people in high rises, say, leaning out their balcony and watching the latest releases for free. Um, True. But what you could do is if you've got like a wide open parking lot, you know, one of the concerns I've heard is, well, they still have concession stands and bathrooms and you've got people interacting there. What if you were able to design some kind of a drive through experience where you drive up, you pay your ticket, you know, with a card and a kiosk. And then the next stop you kind of like going through a bank ATM. The next stop is, you basically go through a drive-thru. Okay, I want a box of dots and a popcorn and they hand it to you. They got gloves on and all that stuff. And then you drive around to find your assigned, you know, we've got assigned seating and some multiplexes. You've got an assigned parking space. Perfect. Um, And then you go in and you watch the movie and then you've got an orderly exit and that kind of thing. The only challenge there would probably be like restrooms. But I mean, people are going to have to go to restrooms and public spaces anyway. Maybe you have no pun intended, a crap ton of porta potties with, you know, hand sanitizing stations like right outside and inside, so you know, coming and going. Um, it, people could make this work. And I think, yeah, like Mike said, there's, there's tremendous opportunity here. If this is in fact, you know, the new horizon that we're going to be looking at as opposed to 
you know, in two years, maybe things can get back to some semblance of normalcy, whether through vaccine or just, you know, this thing burning itself out through the population. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Mm. Um, what, so what do you think would be your fear if movies or theaters, whatever, same thing, uh, if they open too early? I think my fear would be, well, one, obviously a spike in the virus, you know, um, and then it would be just civility. You know, I, we know those type of people who, yeah. who are the every sneeze, noise, whimper, or cell phone light mm. bothers people in a movie theater. And now you have everyone on edge with, like, you know, with health and life and death, where yeah. I don't want to call them pearl clutchers like we call other people pearl clutchers and a bunch of Karens. But, like, you know, <laughs> those entitled people are just going to get worse. Like, I spent my, they're going to be the, all those people where I spent my hard earned money to come here and I'm going to get sneezed on by some asshole behind me. Like, those people are just going to get worse because yeah. they're, they're the ones that, that have disposable income to come to a movie theater and demand it their way. I don't know. The civility of entitlement is going to be on edge and crappier if we're too soon. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I understand where you're coming from, Don, but I do want to stand up for the Karens a little bit. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, that was first you call them asses and now you're trying to k- smooth up to the Karens. Come on now. You can't yes. spell Karen without spelling ass. Oh, wait, yeah, you can. Well, yeah. No, no, you really can't. Actually, um, <laughs> but no, I, it's the thing is, you know, it's going to be kind of the responsibility uh, and maybe there is something to social shaming uh, in a sense, because if you've got a severe cough or, you know, a major cold, yeah. you should be with it enough to understand, you know, maybe True. I just need to stay True. home on the couch and not, not even risk COVID, but understanding that people are so on edge that you could ruin someone's night out by having them preoccupied in a movie theater of like, oh my God, am I getting the coronavirus right now? Because this person, you know, three seats over is sneezing and coughing and not covering his mouth. You know, it's a psychological thing as much as anything else. I don't know how you combat that. Me Um, neither. But I mean, I don't... I essentially don't have any fears about things opening up. Um, I don't know that they can open up too soon um, because, yeah, the this pandemic has been unprecedented, mostly in terms of our reaction to it. Um, and the numbers have not been what, you know, thankfully, what they were touted at the beginning of this thing. Um, so I think we're going to have to figure out a way to, you know, safely re-engage with the world because this... It was a warning. I mean, honestly, we're going to have something else like this in our lifetimes, um, possibly, you know, worse. Um, but the other danger is honestly, if we've got everybody in their own little boxes and not going outside and not engaging, that weakens people's immune systems so that when they do go outside, mm-hmm. they're even point. more open to getting mm-hmm. sick. I know three people who have coronavirus and it was just a really, really rough week. And they're fine. <laughs> I mean, right. when I say rough week, that's not to discount. Like, totally it's not. I know what you mean. Well, I mean, like, yeah. it's not. It's not. I'm not trying to say it's the flu. I mean, it's like yeah. breathing problems and all this other stuff. But it's not like they're all hooked up to ventilators. I mean, yeah. and also they're they're relatively on the younger side. So yeah, it's, it's th- that's it's a whole like, other conversation. It's just like common sense, you know. Like, if yeah. you're 60 years old, like my dad is, who has COPD and heart problems, he'd know. Okay, maybe I shouldn't yeah. go to the theater. Right. You know? But then you'll have people who are just like, well, I don't care if I have all these conditions like my father has, and they'll go anyways, and they die. Well, that's their choice for being stupid. But True. Yeah. And then, sure. yeah. And, and also, like you said, there's a lot of people who've had it who are fine. And that's a different conversation. But like, I've literally was talking to like my plumber recently, and he was saying, like, he, you know, his wife worked in a nursing home, she got it. And she was all right a few days later. And then like all his kids got and he got it and they were fine. But I mean, the thing in the end is, yeah, we do need to build our immune system. We don't all have to live. And I'm quoting uh, Bill Maher here. We don't all have to live like we're Howie Mandel and just be like (laughs) terrified of everything. No, this, this whole time. And I'll, I'll speak to it like a school teacher here. All of this, like you, like Ian said, this is the first of a warning, you know, like we're going to come out of this with, some new, new, better habits. You know, if this turns us all into a little cleaner, a little smarter, a little better hand washing, and, and if we improve the infrastructure that kind of comes around that at a public and, and, and community level, we're better for it, yeah. virus or no virus. So that's not Absolutely. so bad. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's a balance between the two. I think there's a balance between being safe and then too safe. 
Yeah. And, and and even like the fear in the other direction of opening too late, I I, I don't care. I I, let's, I I'll be that guy that I love this stuff, and don't get me wrong, you know, yeah. movies are, are wonderful, but it's it's a razor's edge of first world problems, you know. Like yeah. I'll say it like this: like absence away makes the heart grow fonder. Whenever we do get back, whenever I get to see you or Ian again at a screening, we get to actually shake each other's hands because mm. what one we get to see each other, two we're going to get to see something like we we've been waiting to see for a while. It's going to be wonderful, you know. Um, yeah. But 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 all of this stuff it, it feels very secondary. I I don't miss it. You know, I, there's enough content and fun things to find, you know, awards are secondary. And honestly, the VOD and the indie scenes offer me plenty of entertainment. So I'm, I don't, I don't have any fear of this going on too late either. If we miss the Oscars for a year, okay, fine. The Oscars have kind of sucked for a while anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm not missing anything. <laughs> last year's was nice, but like, we're, we're good, you know. If they've, be- they've tried no host. Now they're going to try no awards. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm they're fine with something. it. I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that way people are less obsessed with movie stars. Um, yeah. But uh, I, that's one thing. It's really exposed how dumb so many movie stars are. Like when they're singing Believe. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> like It's like you're singing Believe. Like Believe in all the things. Like you can. You have a $13 million mansion. It's like I live in a studio apartment in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. But whatever. That's a, but, but, but essentially, I, I think – my worry is if they open too late, we are going to get the Sony theaters. I don't. Maybe we'll get a Disney theater, but again, stuff like Onward, nobody's going to give a shit to see it on the big screen. They'd want to see it at home. Yeah. Uh, also, nobody gave a shit about Onward. Um, but <laughs> no, you're right. Hey, 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 hey. But no, you're right. The the things we've been talking about all this podcast will just sink in a little deeper if this goes longer. That's true. Yeah. The, the dire straits will turn into new realities. Yeah. And, and, you know, in the end, there'll be, I think there will be theaters, but in a different form. Uh, and it probably will be that Sony uh, Disney thing, or there'll just be less of them. Uh, but yeah, I think, uh, wow, we covered a lot of these questions already. Good job, guys. Uh, but you. what do you think, what do you guys think as critics will happen to, to us? You know, because people want to see what the review is going to be before they slap down not only the ticket price but to park well popcorn all that i think i think the three of us are are in a good place because we're not connected to news agencies look at newspapers get yeah. slaughtered right now like i i um i watched michael phillips our our, our colleague here from the yeah. tribune i watched him on a podcast a couple of weeks ago where they were just doing a, a cute little round table on journalism movies and uh they asked him like hey how's work and he's like guys i'm there, because there's nothing front line for him to see. He's writing obituaries and community stories right now. Jesus, you know, like God, like he, he and I just watched. Um, I just saw online uh, Phil Vitell, the food critic, for example. No restaurants. Uh, he's got. He does two weeks on, uh, three weeks off. Where he, same thing. He'll write some retrospective things and some community helper pieces but it's kind of all hands on deck doing things that you're going back to journalism school like it's kind of you know your snobbish job as a film critic or a food critic just isn't isn't needed or important right now where i and we're like it's we're the three of us are very lucky that that that's not our livelihoods we can we can kind of be casual audience litmus test people as, as we've all been and the fun part is and i keep saying it like the well isn't dry yet you know there's so much like ian and i watched arkansas we watched uh the lovebirds there's always something and now we're buried treasure connoisseurs for people like hey if you're if you're bored scrolling through netflix i found this great thing and let me tell you about it like i think we've got a nice renewed place it's a smaller one it's not as flashy of one but we're i don't think we're gonna go away anytime soon yeah yeah i mean sorry i'm sorry no you go ahead mike no 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 go ahead I was just going to say, like, I'm, you know, I'm furloughed from my job and that was extended. So I'm not going, I'm not going back to my day job until the end of June. Um, so I, but the, and what I'm about to say is not to suggest that I'm enjoying this, but it's a fact that I've been just about as busy with movie stuff, you know, during furlough. And I've also taken up drawing again and things like that, but I'm still getting up every morning, you know, grinding away for like six and a half hours on movie podcast stuff, either appearing on other people's shows or putting my own shows together, watching movies, that kind of thing. Uh, There's no shortage of content. I mean, 
we get so many solicitations, emails from, you know, independent distributors to like movie studios and stuff every day saying, Hey, this thing's coming out. Hey, this Netflix thing is coming out. Hey, here's something from October coaster uncorked, you know, that right. Like the stuff I, I, I little stuff. I love it. Yeah. If I were to invest all of my time into answering all of those, you know, movie requests, I would literally have no time each week to cover all of the movies. <laughs> Same here. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. That's where like, like our guy, Mark, Mark Duchik, you know, who, who is that guy who sees everything. Mm-hmm. He, he's not running out of things to do. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's so many, and we get like the screener link code. So like we can see these for free and then tell people if it's worth paying 10 bucks to see, uh, uh, the, the Tom Hardy Al Capone movie, which, yeah, like I said, it's so bad it's good. That movie's hilarious. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I get but, a kick out of it too. Oh my god! Like all of a sudden, it's just like, eh, eh, and, he, and he just shits his pants. It's fucking great. Um, but, but no, I I think um I know this is kind of segueing into one of your questions, but like yeah. it's the elite level that'll see a hit, and and if that goes towards like what I think you were gonna say in a minute here, like film festivals, like yeah. I saw yeah. an interesting article. Um, I, I forget who wrote it, or it, it might have been Hollywood Reporter Variety, but there was like um, some critics were, or some audiences or whatever influence makers were like really worried, like how are we going to know what the Oscar contenders are if there isn't a film festival? Oh, I don't know. Go fucking watch one. You know, don't have it handed to you on a silver platter. Don't join in the group think of snobbery and pretentiousness. Go find a good movie and then come tell us about it. Go do your job. Don't don't let a festival curate and do your job and tell you what everybody loves that is good. Go find what's good. You know, yeah. I, I like the push of going to find stuff now instead of having it be really super tailored and dressed up for us because you know good movies get found and smart marketing can get them out to out there to us without festivals look at what netflix is doing they got marriage story to us just fine they got irishman to us just fine you know like good movies can be found they just have to get off their asses and find them and not like get wined and dined like they're used to you know i i I don't miss i I don't, i'm not a big film festival attendee like some of our other peers are but I, I wouldn't miss them if I were them. All that hassle and all that, that stress to pile all that stuff together just to be force-fed what people are telling you must be the thing we all have mm-hmm. to love. No, go love it for yourself without having to be group-talked into it. Hell yeah. I 1,000% agree with that. Because like so often there's a stigmatization attached to these film festivals. So it's like, oh, you couldn't get into this festival? Well, I could. And I saw this movie and you didn't. And guess oh, what? Yeah. And it's just like, I, I, we could certainly name people who do that. But I'm not going to do that because I'm not petty. And uh, <laughs> Oh, am I that petty? I'm close to that petty. You're, no, you're not. You're not. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. You guys are not. Everyone on my show is not. Well, except for one person was. was. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... Uh, what I could, what I can say is now everyone has the opportunity to really dig and mine and find that movie. And then everyone can spread a word of mouth. Now it's like, we all have that access to be a critic because the thing is, it's like the crit- a lot of people who are critics for people or people who are like bloggers who just got a lot of clicks or guys like me who just had a lot of push and would just constantly market myself and, and see what I could and spend yeah. that money and look under rocks and try to find right. films. And- uh, us, us self-made people are, are better survivors than ones that are relying on bylines. Yeah. And look, I love those guys. I love everybody. But at the end of the day, now everyone has an opportunity to see a movie and it doesn't have to be that film that played at Cannes or Sundance. So I don't know. If those festivals go, I'm fine with that. I I like film not being competitive, but being viewed more as an art. And this kind of gets rid of some of that dumb competition angle from it. It's cool that South by Southwest is now on... Uh, Amazon and you could just watch a South by Southwest films on there. And, you know, it's not just the elite who get to see it. So it really is. Um, it, I think with the future of film festivals, if they go fine. Now, I, now people don't have to go around with their heads up their own ass asking like they're hot shit. Well, you know, I'll, I will stand up for the film festivals just a little bit. Um, mostly because there's so much content out there that I I don't rely on film festivals so much as 
the buzz surrounding them and the conversations and the people who do go and they report back. And yeah, some of them are, are kind of braggy about it, but they at least will let me know, oh, there's a new movie with Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver called Marriage Story. And it's yeah. you know being brought up by Netflix. Hey, there's a new Scorsese film. Uh, you know, I've, I'm so busy in other pursuits that I, I need someone to kind of like curate and, and just let me know that some things are out there. That's uh, fair. That's um, true. Yeah. Not, not to say that it's, it's mostly, it's sort of like an editing system. You know, if there's, you know, 3000 movies that come out in a year, the festival ones that are the ones that, you know, granted a lot of it is studio push and, and money and marketing and things like that. But some of it is, you know, word of mouth because not every movie that is touted as a, as a at a festival gets the word of the positive word of mouth. Sometimes people are like, yeah, it's got the big stars and it's all artsy and stuff, but you skip it and go see this other thing instead. Uh, so that's <laughs> kind of cool. But what's interesting about South by Southwest is, and this isn't exactly sour grapes, it's more a puzzlement because I had heard when this whole thing started, the, the lockdown, that South by Southwest was being canceled like everything else. But then there's like, okay, now it's going to be on Amazon. And so what did I expect? I don't know if anybody else got these, got any emails or notifications, but I didn't get any kind of heads up like from South by Southwest or any of the studios. Like I'm an accredited, you know, Chicago film critic. And I know that sounds horribly pretentious and snobby, but it's just like, no one said, Hey, would you like to, you know, watch these movies or even here's the lineup of what's dropping on Amazon next week from South by Southwest. It's literally one of those things where I opened up Facebook or something on that Monday and it's like, hey guys, South by Southwest is going on right now. I'm like, oh, well, I've got a million other things on my plate. So I guess maybe <laughs> yeah. I'll see those movies. I don't even know what played there. There's no, and nobody's talking about those films. No, no. I, I don't think they were ready and I don't know if they're hurting enough. Like until they have their hats in their hands, like, hey, no one's seeing our stuff. Please come help us. Are they going to come find us? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you know what? Now that South by Southwest came out, I didn't even really watch them because I'm like, well, there's all these other movies that I'm far more interested in. You know, some of them I just look at, I'm like, eh. So I think it'll take away some of the prestige from those festivals, even if they're online only. But yeah, they weren't ready for this. And I feel horrible for the filmmakers who, you know, prepared all their time and all their marketing for it just for, you know, this to happen to them. That's terrible. And, and the filmmaker angle can't be understated because as much as we're kind of Very viewing true. this from yeah. the consumer slash critic perspective, there is something very meaningful for a filmmaker to go to Sundance or go to South by and have their film oh, premiere yeah. there and to get that positive buzz, to make those connections, to make those deals, to get distribution and all that other stuff. Um, there, there is the artiste's angle and, you know, it's mixed in with commerce, of course, because that's the world that we live in. But, you know, there is a, there is a great aspect to festivals. I, people yeah. get excited because, hey, I'm going to see these movies. I also get to interview the director or the actor and, and get yeah. you know, that experience too. It, it is bread and butter for a lot of our, our critics who aren't the self-made people where this is their gig. This is their yeah. thing. This is their livelihood. And the traffic of yeah, having the, the exclusivity that comes from their festival or the chance to collaborate amongst each other and get a few more jobs and places like this. Yeah. You know, um, I know Robert Daniels, for example, in in Chicago indie critics of me like when oh, he yeah. goes to festivals he's been able to get more bylines from more places because it's uh, the networking mm -hmm. and it's you know we I, I know we're calling it calling it the pretentious end of the networking of the braggart end of it but for those who are honestly enterprising about it um that is a place for them their work to get featured their work to come up front a little bit and and add to their livelihood so no it, it's I, I I call it out but at the same time I recognize that the other struggles that are there Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, I wouldn't have met you guys if I didn't go like to the Chicago Critics Film Festival mm -hmm. or to, you know, or the Chicago International Film Festival. So like it gives you a chance to make friends and to meet people and to network yourself and to help your yourself as well, even as freelancers. And who, who are we going to really be able to network ourselves to if we're just, uh, you know, if we're just at home? watching movies <laughs> well I, I think it's i think it's just like the movies good yeah. things get found yeah. you just got to be good and get found a little bit you know, i guess it's like more like the said, face to face interactions and certainly you know i mean there's nothing more rewarding as a filmmaker like just making some of my own movies and seeing some of my friends films get made then to be accepted in those festivals uh a good friend of mine anna muso she made this short called l train and 
it won like the top uh, short drama award at the Chicago uh, International Film Festival, and I think it went on to Sundance and Cannes actually. It wow. got Oscar nice. uh, consideration, and it's like she wouldn't like without that, she wouldn't have had any of that. It just would have been online, and who knows, maybe it would have gotten lost. Uh, because people don't go out of their way to see those movies. And there's a lot of film enthusiasts who would love to kind of pour money to those festivals and still see films like that. So maybe the film festivals could come back, but it'll take time, I'd say. It's sort of like they kind of have to rebuild what they are. I agree. Yeah, I know there there are some places that are trying like virtual film festivals. And I think yeah. depending on, uh, and there, there's even virtual like conventions, like comic conventions and, you know, horror movie conventions and things that people are experimenting with. Like with everything else, I think it just depends on how long this goes on and what it will look like at the other end of it. Because you could have it a completely virtual film festival experience, ostensibly where people pay their money to get access, like virtual tickets to be able to see these films First, if that's important for mm. critics, it's like you set up, you know, Zoom cues. Like I get to talk to, you know, Scorsese or Gal Gadot for 10 minutes on Zoom and then they go through the next thing. Yeah. You save money on hotel suites and, you know, you don't have to worry about germs and all that stuff. Right. So I like with everything else, I see huge opportunities here. It's just a matter of do these companies and festivals and studios have to invest in that now or do they have some time to wait to see if things come back to something resembling the old world? And I know they're in boardrooms on whiteboards trying to figure out price point because oh, like, of course. you know, we, we know we have our good friends and buddies who go to, you know, those ACE comic conventions and, and they want those photo ops and they're, they're dropping 90 bucks to get a photo with Mark Ruffalo or something, you know, name your, name your actor, you know, like we, I don't know if anyone, it depend, are, is there an audience for people who will pay 90 bucks to go on a Zoom call and not get that handshake, not get that photo, but oh my God, I met so-and-so on a zoom like if there's a market for it they'll exploit it and they'll find it but it, the question is this is all new is there is there a spot for it well i mean honestly the 90 dollars zoom call would be more rewarding i would think than the photo op because from what i've heard of those photo ops when i know them is literally it's an assembly line like literally you go yeah, in true. you look at the camera the, the person maybe puts their arm around you it looks when you look at the photo it looks like yeah we're kind of hanging out it's like a big photo shoot but no like once they snap the picture you're gone so having five minutes to talk to Mark Ruffalo on Zoom or 10 minutes or whatever Good it is, point. I could see people shelling that out. I know there have been virtual autograph signings. Like I think Gary Busey did one where it's like a $10 Zoom or 10 minute Zoom call. Plus he's signing like the eight by 10 of your choice while he's talking to you. And then that organization mails it to you and all that stuff. So yeah, people are always starting to figure these things out. It's just a matter of scale and time. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's just, it is more interesting in some ways to do it online because you don't have like, like a hundred people around that person trying to talk to them at the same time. Yes. Which, <laughs> yeah. uh, God, that's always a, like at a film festival when you're trying to talk to somebody, everyone wants their spot. And then like, you're supposed to say something to them and it's like, ah, uh, I like your movie. Thank you. And then you're done. You yeah. Know. Yeah. So it's great to have sort of more of that intimate, conversation with them it's like so you don't get to see how tall they are if their breath smells whatever who cares you know <laughs> at least you like at least you really actually get to take some time with them but it, again uh, before a resurgence of everything i think things will be done virtually and that that's fine i think it's going to be like rebuilding our world yeah things are gonna be different that's that's uh that's for sure yeah. and i'm the one that'll say different is good we we needed a little shake we needed a little honing we need we need a little rattle i'm fine with all this well yeah i mean there's we are really at uh, tipping points the the wrong word because it kind of implies everything's going to tip over but we're at a unique <laughs> point now where we've got everybody on the planet pretty much thinking about the future in very real terms and there's so much opportunity to make things better there are also opportunities to make things you know regressive and and worse but i think we are going to ultimately come out of this ahead. We're going to look back on that, this really weird time is like, wow, things were really different before then. I'm sure glad we went through that. I'm sorry, these people died, but look at everything we came up with that have yeah. made our lives more, you know, much easier and more yeah. rewarding. Oh yeah. I mean that, I think, you know what, I was so afraid to do this episode for a long time because I was just so depressed thinking about what happened <laughs> in movie theater, what's going to happen to us. 
But now, since I started filming this, I'm feeling a lot better. This is like therapy. I'm feeling really good about our future. And I'm not just saying it for the podcast. Maybe I am figuring it out on your own, folks. Uh, but <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> really, uh, I, I just think, yeah, we, we have the opportunity now when we rebuild the theater, and I think we will rebuild everything, where we can finally have movies like what I'm editing. Uh, sorry for my name drop. You can call me a douche later, audience. Uh, when I was... Uh, and when I'm editing these Roger Ebert reviews, like he's doing all these movies that aren't connected to Marvel or DC or anything like that. They're just movies. Mm-hmm. And we can go back to that because people will probably pay money to see a movie rather than pay money to see, you know, Thor 75 that they can get on Disney Plus. And that's awesome. Yeah. And I think, you know, if we had that opportunity and we had the ingenuity and now that people have seen what it's like to live in a worst case scenario, we're, we're going to emerge as a better world, a more conscionable world. And hopefully our citizens will argue for a better livelihood economically and environmentally and creatively. So yeah. uh, that's my parting thoughts on that. Do, do you guys have any parting thoughts before, uh, before we take off? No, I, I hit it by saying we're better for it. This, this yeah. is a good push. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And I'm, I'm just glad that, I mean, as, as scary as things are right now, we are starting to see things open back up and people have different opinions of it. But it, it is the very least is not the, you know, quarter million people dead, uh, you know, panic in the streets and, and all that stuff. Not to say that won't happen at some point, but where at least you know we can start to see the light at the end of the tunnel and it's not an oncoming train. Yeah, and there's there's people racing towards the vaccine. You know, yeah. there, and there, and there's some studies from Oxford and some other places saying we could get something by next year which would be wow, that would be amazing. <laughs> um yeah. so, you know, that that's the thing. You just hang in there and guess what? Like life will be better after that. And yeah. after tremendous tragedy comes uh, uh, opportunity to make a better world. And I think maybe we'll have a better world for how we view movies. And we won't be all so selfish and just watch Transformers. Um, <laughs> so uh, having said that, uh, thank you again, Ian Simmons from kickseat.com and Don Shanahan from Every Movie Has a Lesson. Uh, th- this has really been actually a very therapeutic episode. So guys, we're actually, I started on a low note and we ended on a high note and that's how the world's going to be. I'm God. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, thank, thank you for, for having us on. I'll speak for you for, in that sense, Don. That sounds um, but, good. You're yeah, good. this, this has been a uh, very, very fun and yeah, very uplifting. I wasn't sure how this was going to go either, but I'm glad we could be there for you. And, you know, to quote the theme song from Growing Pains, as long as we've got each other, we've got the world spinning right in our hands. There, there we go. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> uh, if I couldn't get copyright at it, I'd literally end the episode with that song fading up. Uh, <laughs> <but> yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. I love you all. We will see you next time on You'll Probably Agree. And who knows what the next episode will be. But now that I have the time, I have plenty of time to make more episodes. All right. Thanks so much, guys. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.